You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Hello, and welcome to the Reversing Climate Change podcast. I'm Alessandra Guerra. I'm Ross Kenyon. Alessandra is co-hosting with me for the first time. Uh, We asked in the podcast survey we sent out, people clamored for her. We're happy to have her on. She's been one of our most fun and frequent guests, but it's been a while. So we'd like to add her to the group of co-hosts for the Reversing Climate Change show. Christoph is producing. What's it, what's it like to be over there, Christoph? You look like a, tech, you look like a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. I'll figure out how to keep myself quiet. <laughs> that, that might be a challenge, but feel free to chime in like Paul. Today we have with us Tom Rankin of the Clean Tech Alliance. We've seen him around at events here in the Seattle area. Curious to learn more about what he does with regard to clean tech, what it is, what his organization does and supports. Tom, I don't know if you know the drill, but we like to start with people's story and how they got to this point. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to be? How I came to be. Yes, in in, in a very (laughs) universal cosmic sense. I was born in the mountains of Florida. (laughs) In the mountains of Florida. (laughs) Uh, My family is from Seattle, but my father is career Navy, so we moved around all the time as kids and uh, eventually ended up back here for graduate school and have been on the business side uh, ever since grad school. Worked in banking, worked in biotech for a long time, and been doing this job now for eight and a half years. That is one of the most uh, contained versions of a backstory I think we've had here. So we're, we're going to have to drag it out of you, I think. What, uh, Go what, ahead, drag. <laughs> what is the Clean Tech Alliance and uh, what would you say you do there? Uh, the Clean Tech Alliance is, is really a straight over tackle trade association for companies that are working in this broad space we call clean tech. And that's mostly has to do with energy very broadly defined. We do the same things other trade associations do in, in a lot of ways. We we advocate for our members. We have a very broad-based membership and a broad-based board, so we don't advocate for everything. And the board wants to have a consensus when we advocate for some things. So things like the Governor's Clean Energy Fund has been something that we've been very much in support of for the last uh, four – we're going on to the fourth uh, allocation out of the capital budget this year, we hope. We do a lot of events because people in the space are very outgoing. They're gregarious. They want to be together. They want to know what's going on. They want to network. And that's really important from a business standpoint. Uh, I see people that are making contacts. People find jobs. They find customers. They find investors. They find collaborators. So just being in the same room, networking and learning about what's going on is, is very important to the members. We do a lot of PR work, social media, website stuff. So we bring visibility to our members. We have a program for entrepreneurs, so very early stage individuals, usually who have deep expertise in their technology, but have never written a business plan, don't know how to run a business. And we run them through a program where essentially we put put them in the same room for a course of four or five months with people that have written business plans, have raised money, um, and get them up to speed on how to start a business up. And what is that called for our listeners who are interested in looking at it? It's called the Cascadia Clean Tech Accelerator, and we run it in conjunction with a sister organization in Oregon. So we have uh, companies from all over the Northwest that apply, and we run through uh, one or two dozen companies per year. And it's really been very, very successful for that very early stage entrepreneur. How would you say the Pacific Northwest fares in terms of clean tech? Is this a hub for it? We're we're kind of in the middle of it. So it seems like there's a lot happening here, but I suppose I don't have a great basis to compare it against other areas. Well, the short answer is yes. And the longer answer is the longer. We've been actually doing some research as of late, trying to understand the space better. 
So we've got a lot of innovation going on here. It's just part of the DNA of this region. It's something that didn't exist when I moved here. It was The economy was all about Boeing and forest products and ag. And now it's incredibly diverse with software, biotech, and everything else you can think of. Um, so that's part of who we are today. So that's a big plus. We've got fantastic research institutions in the region. We have three national labs that are within the, the multi-state region, Idaho National Labs, Nettle, and the, the Pacific Northwest National Lab. We've got great research institutions like the University of Washington and Washington State University that are really doing incredible stuff in this space. Um, and a lot of support policy-wise, you know, it's, it's just a great region for a lot of reasons. When we ask the people that we're interviewing um, if this is a great region, they all say, yes, it is, but they have different reasons for that. So it points out that things are going well, but there's other stuff we need to learn to understand this, this whole sector better and how to make it more effective. What are some of those reasons? I'm curious, the variety that you see. Oh, one of the interviewees was some uh, people down at Commerce who went on at length about how much uh, for an area with such low cost electricity, our energy efficiency efforts are really leading the country in a lot of ways. So we're just great at that. If you look at any aspect of research, I mean, we compare it with anybody you know in the world. You know, the hydro you know, backstop to what we have here for generation of electricity, on and on, things like that. So individual things. If you look, for example, at aerospace, clearly we lead the world. Boeing leads the world and how to create innovations in that space to make airplanes more effective, more efficient, and do the great things that we want to do in clean tech. So lots of answers. <laughs> All different. <laughs> I did that Boeing tour, is it the future of flight one or whatever, when you get to see how they're building all those planes. I think it's the biggest indoor space in the world too. Well right. worth it. Apologies to anyone at Airbus listening uh, <laughs> for us being partisanal. Is that what you say if you're a partisan? It's like artisanal, partisanal. I don't know. Tom, to what degree is policy something that is very necessary for clean tech or in some ways are these people you're working with and uh, insofar as you're working as a trade group? Are they developing private sector alternatives? How are these competitive? Are they collaborative? How does this work? It's a really good question. I, you know, at the, at the end of the day, what we need to develop is stuff that stands on its own in the marketplace. So, uh, you know, the policymakers in India that are contemplating how to provide electrical power, you know, right now when they do that, the rational place for them to go is coal. So when the economics of that are inferior to solar, wind, storage, et cetera, then we've changed the world. So ultimately, we have to create things that stand on their own in the marketplace. Having said that, a lot of our members are early stage companies that are just getting started. And about the hardest thing in the world to do is start a company, build your technology, and maybe even harder than that is to sell it for the first time. So where the government can step in and aid that process, it can be really, really important. I mentioned earlier that Governor's Clean Energy Fund, they've created demonstration projects through that. So you see, see things like early stage battery software and batteries themselves come out of these companies that are deployed and working and sold for the very first time, partly with state capital assistance to get that happening. So those companies then have the ability, you know, small companies, very few customers can then go around the world and market their products and say, hey, you're not going to be the first buyer of this. It's actually deployed. You can come and see it. And how does that work that you have utility? It sounds like a utility pilot. Mm -hmm. working with these entrepreneurs mm -hmm. on these never-before-used devices when utilities are quite conservative and not likely to try something new. So is it lab-scale, and how does the government's policy help get that uh, adopted with utilities? So what you said about the utilities, I think, is very true. 
they want things that work. But what essentially happens through this program is the government, the state of Washington, pays about 40% of these combined projects. So the utilities, the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the national labs will be reviewing them to write reports about it. So a consortium of different organizations work together, and they go through a competitive process of applying to the state, the Department of Commerce, for these grants, essentially. And when they win them, if they're the best ones in, in the queue then the state will fund a portion of that project. So essentially, the state of Washington has helped to fund some of these. So the cost of the utilities and everybody else has diminished quite significantly. So we don't have to go down this rabbit hole if you don't want to, Ross. I'm just totally curious from like, the process as an entrepreneur. And I worked at the utility before this, mm-hmm. and now as an entrepreneur. It's like, how do they even create a proposal for a grant that is competitive with some of these larger vendors like GE or Schneider Electric to actually compete for this? Well, to date, they've been very successful at it. And, you know, frankly, having some of those companies collaborating is not a bad thing. For example, there are some really good software companies, Demand Energy and Doosan Grid Tech, that develop technologies here in the state that are really quite good. I mean, world-class products. And when you get these applications, you know, the people know each other. And that's part of what we do as an organization. I mean, these people are in the same room together and they say, hey, what do you think about doing this? And they collaborate. So they put together, you know, terrific applications and they're they're all competitive, right? So the big guys can compete too. And at the end of the day, the best projects that win. Interesting. So you're bringing them together, the Mm -hmm. ecosystem of the large players and the smaller just starting off entrepreneurs. Yeah, we have about two-thirds of our members are small companies, 20 employers or fewer, and one-third are quite large. That includes Boeing and the big utilities and the national labs and the universities and so forth. So part of the deal is bringing everybody together so they can collaborate. I love it. Yeah, I quite like your comment from a few questions back about how these innovations need to be able to stand on their own economically. In this process of grant making and uh, seeking either subsidies or quasi-subsidies, uh, how do you make sure that there isn't a sort of cylindra in the mix? Or is, is there a problem when government's picking winners like this? Is it less bad than I might think it is? How do you negotiate that and avoid the political criticism that can derive from that? Well, there's two answers to that. Is, is it a bad thing? Politically, it's very bad. And you know, the fact that we still remember Solyndra from six, eight years ago was evidence of that. From an economic standpoint, you're talking about really early stage technologies that are inherently risky. If you were a venture capital firm and scored one time out of 10, you'd be very, very successful. Mm-hmm. So personally, I don't worry about that too much. We, you know, we need to be trying new things that have a chance of winning. And that's part of what the process is about. Let's prove it in the marketplace. If it works, great. If it doesn't, we'll go back and try the next one. So from an, you know, an economy standpoint, I don't worry about that at all. Not all of these things are going to win. So who's taking that risk? And I think you might see different entities willing to take that risk. What is your take on it? And who have you seen reacting differently? Well, in the case of those the clean energy fund projects, the, the, the risk is split. So if the state's putting 40% of the money in, that's at risk. And the utility is putting some money in, that's at risk. The company itself, often these are life and death uh, issues for the companies. You know, if the technology does not work, the risk is shared. But the state of Washington is taking some of that risk. It sounds less 
risky given that it's super early stage. I think if it was a more established company, there'd be a lot more grounds for the people that work there being politically well-connected. Maybe there's more possibility for things we wouldn't like to see. But given that these are unfunded, is this maybe their first like seed round or even pre-seed round amounts of, of money? Well, it depends on the company, but in many cases, they've raised substantial capital to get to the point where they can, I mean, they're not in the early stage, let's create a battery for the first time. I mean, that's been done. So the technology's built, they have the engineering problems, you know, solved, at least to the point of having that first product out there. Now, what we'll see, you know, as they're deployed, we'll, we'll find out in real world activity, you know, if there are issues with that, if there's more engineering that's necessary and so forth. So it's, you know, it's not a thousand percent ready to go bulletproof, but it's pretty darn bulletproof by the time it gets to that point or they wouldn't be funded to start with. There has to be some, it's not a research fund, it's a deployment fund, right? So there has to be a very, very reasonable chance for these things to actually work in the real world. And they're competing against other things. So the state's not going to throw the money in, you know, for something that has a whole lot of risk. I kind of want to do a, a little bit of a story time thing, Tom, since you've had such a, a good seat to observe and participate in all these trends. Where did clean tech start maybe when you started your career in this? And where do you forecast it going in the next decade or so? I'm sure the changes have been quite impressive since you've started. Well, I, I started this job uh, just as the economy was falling apart uh, eight or 10 years ago. and Great time for an emerging sector, yeah. right? <laughs> Prior to that point, there were a whole lot of new companies and ideas and entrepreneurs and so forth that I think in retrospect, many of them didn't have very realistic expectations about what created a business, right? So they were visionaries that were on a mission from God to stop climate change not necessarily people that knew how to make payroll. And what we saw when the economy tanked was you can't make payroll, you, you know, the mission from God stops. So those companies pretty much tanked. Investors also got really cold feet about the whole field. So we saw a whole pullback from a lot of that area. And the, the whole investment part has changed quite considerably from what it was um, years ago. The technology, though, the research and development has been extraordinary and continues to be extraordinary, um, you know, basically because of the institutions we have here in the region working on it, like the University of Washington and Pacific Northwest National Labs and so forth. Um, so we see a lot of people out there creating great stuff, you know, from an in innovation standpoint, small company, you know, hopefully going to change the world. This research that I alluded to before has been very interesting because we may find out that even more impressive is what's being done internally within the big companies like Boeing and Microsoft and Amazon and the rest of them. They're very concerned about these issues and doing some great stuff. Christoph, are you champing at the bit to say uh, entrepreneur? <laughs> are you... <laughs> You said it for me, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there things you want to say that you've been taking a step back? Or you, why don't we be so kind as to extend the platform to you? <laughs> well, I'm kind of curious in how you define clean tech, Tom. Oh, thanks. That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> back to basics. Let's do it. Yeah. It, most of our members are doing something in energy broadly defined. So by broadly defined, that would include... Efficiency in construction, right? Building buildings that are more efficient. So it's, it's a very, very broad group of companies. Um, everything from stuff that would be obvious, like renewable energy, to 
And we have one company that's been a really interesting to watch that came out of our uh, accelerator program that's into insect farming. For eating. Well, originally that was the notion that the vision of the entrepreneur was, uh, you know, for all the reasons, high protein, low resource going into insects, that she, she was very interested in that. By going through the program, some of these people that have built businesses before said, okay, who's going to buy your bugs to eat? And there aren't a whole lot of people in Seattle to create a big business around, you know, eating insects. But what there may be a big idea behind this is that you can get high protein animal feed through insects. So the possibility is very strong that you can create animal feed at low cost with high protein. That could be a big idea. So that's an, an example of something that's you know completely out of the renewables area, but it's a resource efficiency kind of play that um, you know we're very enthusiastic about. I once had a friend who tried. We went out to a tequila bar, and she tried to get me to eat a cricket. Yeah, how was it? I didn't do it. Oh, <laughs> she yeah. ate the crickets. I just couldn't. And for like an hour, the bartender and her kept coaxing me to do it. it you weren't happen. drinking enough then. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I well, I had to drive after, so drink responsibly. But I want to go back to Christoph's comment. Comment and slide in there. Wait a second. I want to talk about crickets real quick. Wait. Okay. They're they're good. You should. Have, I did it once in uh, Mexico City, and uh, they're quite good. You have some salt and some lime, and it's uh, <laughs> I, it's not so scary. That's what people are saying. Like, oh, it's good. It's I, good. Sure that wasn't wild. tequila. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that might have been involved too. I remember it was at Chapultepec, the big hill. But anyways, okay. Sorry. Well, I think it all goes back to you know what we're used to and paradigm shifts. So like, you know, eating insects is probably done i mean it's done a lot around the world it's just not in my world so right that's very shit. foreign to americans it, it <laughs> seems but you know it's it's very common in some cultures yeah don't shifting what we say what under, we think. don't underestimate the power of social media influences and how <laughs> yeah. fickle taste can be literally <laughs> once someone thinks it's trendy and hip to start eating cricket steaks I wouldn't bet the farm on it, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> to see this sort of thing take off. Some like of my like CrossFit friends are uh, into the cricket flour and the cricket bars and stuff. Oh. Yeah, people swear by it. Are you? Mm -hmm. But does that as a as a vegetarian? Are you? Are crickets okay or no? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. Uh, I mean, every. Answer. I think it's really unfair. So you, you first of all, thanks for calling me out now to all of our Speak podcast listeners as the resident vegetarian. Um, <laughs> not cool because I know everybody has different opinions, but like every label, they should be applied very, very loosely, and everybody has their own take on what is okay and what isn't. So. Or we should just be more pedantic because technically you're a pescatarian. This is true. I was vegetarian for a very long time and recently started eating fish. But anyways, let's let's go back. I, you brought up a really good question, Christoph, which was um, how does Tom define clean tech? And so I liked your answer that it was broad. So would you consider, Tom, let me pitch this to you, is a technology that enables carbon removal and storage to clean up the atmosphere of excess carbon dioxide, a clean technology. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there we go. Yeah. We're clean tech folks. You've heard it here. <laughs> I like to see it's more it's more the enabling platform to it. That's true. We, if you're a longtime listener, you've heard us massacre this metaphor multiple times, but we like to see ourselves as garbage collectors in a world that treats CO2 as garbage. And the value of a garbage collector is to show up to the guy who's putting garbage out on the street with a bill and motivates that guy who's putting garbage out on the street to find efficient ways to reuse that trash, to put significantly less trash and to reduce that trash, or to do things 
that have nothing to do with even producing trash in the first place because they've just found a better way to live in a trashless society. But it all kind of fits together. Where we're really concerned in, in that area is the innovation process. You know, how do you create the research? How do you take the research from the lab into the marketplace? How do you build businesses around that that are economically sustainable to make that kind of thing happen? So I had a conversation yesterday with someone who said a phrase I've come to dread, which is, this all sounds very interesting, Christoph. Let's sign an NDA as the next step. And it's just like, oh, God, do we have to? Like, <laughs> Which maybe that's where my interests lie. But truly, an idea is only as good as the execution of it. And in the pre-competitive space, it's really important to put ideas out there for the consumption of others who might think about these ideas. So here's a question for you, Tom. <laughs> How do you consider the sharing of ideas in a pre-competitive space as it relates to clean technology and... Does the government have a potential role to help foster the sharing of ideas so that they don't get locked up in NDAs and intellectual property concerns? So let's start with the back part first. So the government and our society is very, very much in support of research, right? If you look at some of the things that the, the Yale public opinion um, on climate change uh, surveys, like 85% of Americans support research in this field. And the government, I think, has a very legitimate role putting as much money as you know, we can possibly advocate for in this very early stage of let's create the technologies. So those tend to be open, public, you know, available for anybody to take a look at um, in many of these cases. Um, You're talking about just basic research, right? Yeah, very basic research. So, you know, creating new technologies for batteries uh, and things like that, development of new kinds of solar panels and so forth. Once you get to the point of actually commercializing that, then the company doing that has to have some protection. You know, if you go out and make all these investments, get the product out on the market, and then the big guy down the block um, eats you and your uh, your investment for lunch, that's not a good thing. So it's a mixed bag. Some of it you do need to protect uh, to protect the the investments that investors are making, particularly with early stage companies. But on the early stage, I'd say as much public impact as we can get out of that is the best uh, direction for society. And that's not true for everything either. I mean, sometimes you see things like software developed where you want it to be very, very public so people can create apps and add-ins. So it's a mixed bag. Sure. And I've seen even people who get lumped into the libertarian category, like people like I'm pretty sure I've seen Tyler Cowen argue that uh, basic research is sort of like the that in Center for Disease Control is sort of one of those things where government is best served doing that, even if private enterprise is superior at creating businesses off of that research. Um, like government couldn't have a role in the former, but should have a much lighter hand in the latter. So I could see that at least being plausible. That sounds good. Do you guys have any anything else you want to want to cover? Well, we we did cricket, question. so I, I don't know how we're going to top that. Uh, <laughs> I, I did have a question earlier, which is, Tom, what do you think are some of the trends? Christoph did ask this, too, when it comes to clean tech, and what are the roadblocks that you see that we need to address? Well, one of the things we're addressing in this research we're doing, we're doing a, a process of going out and interviewing people that have expertise in this space, and it's a very, very broad space, as we've talked about before, to try to get a better picture We've got a lot of companies starting. We've got a lot of established companies, but getting from small moving to big is very, very difficult in the space. So we're trying to understand that better. 
We've seen things like battery technology. Uh, that's been really interesting, both on the software side and on the hardware side. And that's something that has promise, particularly in this region. Um, there are lots of other technologies. I mean, anywhere you can throw a light switch, you can find an entrepreneur with an idea. So it's a very, very broad space. And the thing that's going to be really interesting looking at this more is, is looking at, you know, the Boeings and the Microsofts. And because I think they really have made a commitment in many ways as part of their brand, their commitment to their customers, their commitment to their employees to, to make a difference. And in some cases, you can go into some of these organizations and look at things like how they use energy and see amazing stuff going on. So that's something we want to understand better. Yeah, I've been working a lot with looking into the reporting standards and the goals that mm -hmm. corporations are making in terms of how do they reduce in their value chain, their emissions. Um, and then we're trying to come at the end and say, okay, yeah, remove the rest. And most of it is focused on energy efficiency and energy in general, clean sources of energy. So what are the most easily adoptable strategies that some corporations could adopt in their climate roadmaps? Well, the thing you hear and see most is building efficiency. There's just so much potential as new stock goes up and buildings are being rehabbed to really radically reduce energy utilization. A few years ago, I went over to the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center and technologies they've developed over there with their facilities people are just absolutely incredible. They think they've cut their energy bill by about 40%. That's awesome. And that's really significant. Not only is it a big research facility, but they've got, I think at the time, seven or 800 freezers and refrigerators because they have to short store tissue. They have incredible clean air standards in offices and labs for research purposes. I mean, they have a huge energy demands. For the cost reasons, because of the employee commitment, because their employee is part of their, their brand, they've done these things. And it's really beneath the radar. You don't hear about this on the front page of the paper, but it really is amazing what they're doing and virtually everybody else because it's important to people. Yeah, one of the clean tech trends that I've noticed is uh, in many cases, the example you just gave will have multiple reasons to care about this beyond just some altruism for the planet or something like that. There are financial incentives that pull in the same direction. You can also attract better talent because you get to brag right. about how uh, efficient and clean you are. So I think stuff starts to scale and move very quickly when you do have multiple reasons all pulling together. There are great business reasons to do that. I mean, at the heart of it, you're reducing costs, right? So that's kind of a no-brainer. So, you know, resource reduction, sustainability, there's a lot of stuff that's absolutely equivalent of that. But then there are funds, for example, social responsibility funds. So your access to capital may be more better if you have a, a better profile. Companies are starting to report this on their annual reports, their customers care. So far as you see companies that are now associating their brand, which is really, really important, the value of any organization with doing things that are clean and green. And it makes a difference in their culture. I mean, we heard this loud and clear in our interview over at Boeing, for example, that 15, 10, 15 years ago, the CEO said, this is part of what we want to lead the world in. And that's part of what they do every day. They're always thinking about how to get more efficient airplanes, um, new systems that reduce the cost of fuel. I mean, their business reasons as well as cultural reasons are into that. 
That sounds great. I think there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. We try to keep hope alive, I guess you could say, on this show and look for that silver lining. And it's, it's been good that stuff like that has been happening. And then also with energy production, it's become cheaper and more competitive for wind and solar and other technologies. Nuclear may be around the corner. I don't know. They always talk about how it's around the corner, but I guess we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, thanks for being here, Tom. Is there anything we should tell the audience? Where, where can they find your work? Anything you want to plug? cleantechalliance.org. If you're interested in being part of it, uh, we'd love to have anybody who's interested in moving their businesses forward and changing the world. Great. Thanks for being here. And then also we forgot to talk a little bit about it, but I think you may have heard the new intro music at the beginning and hopefully you are about to hear outro music. People have long been asking us, why does the show end so abruptly? What can you do about it? I think we're going to have an outro now. Yeah, I have no idea how good it is when you hear it, but uh, we're going to be working on it since we are recording this uh, in the past relative to you, listener, in the future. Thanks for doing this, Alessandra. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, listeners, for requesting me. Love it. (laughs) We'll do more of this in the future, and thank you again.